0: With us today is Daniel Triesler, um, and uh, welcome to the uh, Swedish Junior Hockey Podcast.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Scandlux,
0: your home for Scandinavian luxury products for the U.S. market. You can find us at Scandlux.com. So, we've had now, you are the third Danish sort of person that is on... um, on the podcast, but not really Danish quite yet. So, uh, very, very eclectic uh, background. And um, so, uh, give us a little bit of background who Daniel Triesler is.
1: Well, um, at this current given day, I'm a 34 year old American who has seen Scandinavia inside and out, um, kind of on a little ice hockey adventure. My goal when I was younger was to um, explore um, Scandinavia for all of the different types of uh, um, hockey adventures and uh, games and levels and leagues that it had to offer and kind of come up with my own mindset of what the Scandinavian hockey development system was and what it kind of meant to me and how it could kind of mold me into the hockey person that I wanted to become. So Yeah, I'm I'm right now. I'm currently over in Copenhagen, Denmark. I've been in uh, Denmark for four years now. Before that, it was uh, three and a half, almost four years in Sweden. Um, Played junior and college hockey on the East Coast. Um, I was originally from Dover, Delaware, and um, you know, just an East Coast kid trying to. Live out his dreams of doing hockey for the rest of his life. So I'm one of many, but uh, coming from Delaware, we didn't have that many arenas. So I kind of had to figure it out on my own.
0: But you grew up, I mean, on, according to Elite Prospect, you grew up in the hockey
1: mecca of Birmingham, Alabama. You know, we, <laughs> I, it's funny, you know, it's funny you say that because I moved, uh, like I said before, I was born uh, in, in Dover, Delaware. Um, and then we had moved around quite a bit, but uh, that all started when my mother, my brother um, and I, we moved down to Alabama and I started playing um, hockey really with my brother when the the front yard froze over one winter and we took the wheels off of our rollerblades and we're kind of just pushing around the plastic frames of our skates. And that was really the only um uh, the, the only real expression that I got from doing anything hockey related. Then when we got down to Alabama was when it really took off. Yeah. I remember I, mean, I was, uh, there are,
0: I mean, there are just, I mean, I kind of joke a little bit about it, but you do have in, uh, Huntsville, you have the the collegiate program there. Yeah. And you, and you have, um, you have Birmingham bulls, you have, um, you got some tier two, Uh, uh, youth hockey programs there and, 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 and a few rinks and, um, uh, you know, so it's not like it's, it's completely forgotten
1: over there. No, no, it's not. But I, I, I tell you what, when I, when I got down there and I was a squirt, I remember sometimes there'd be 80, sometimes 200 people sitting in the stands because we would play on a Sunday right after there was public skate. Yep. And right now at the Pelham civic center where the, where the Birmingham bulls of the SPHL are playing that's where we would play. So the arena wouldn't, it wouldn't be packed like a pro game, but there'd be people everywhere watching it because it was so new to them down South. But yeah, I grew up watching the Birmingham bulls play in the ECHL. That was my first real hockey games ever going to. And then in the BJTC, that was my, my real experience. So I, I really owe it all to moving down to Alabama, which really spiked <laughs> my interest in hockey. Really, truly.
0: Yeah. That is a little bit, a uh, little bit different, different for sure. But yeah. have- Fast forward, you know. Okay, so you played, uh, uh, played at the ACHA level in in. So Bren Afflin, is that how you pronounce
1: it? Bren College in Northeast Philadelphia.
0: Yes. Oh, it's in Philadelphia. I was going to ask where, um, um, where that was. But then uh, you eventually ended up in Sala, Sweden which yeah. uh, I think we talked offline. And I, I, you know, Sala is kind of like in the middle of um, everybody has to go through the roundabout in Sala to get north to, to Dalarna and where everybody wants to go. And exactly. you either go through there to get to Borlinga or you go up and from Uppsala and go, go on the, on the East coast to, to Yabla. But um, I've been through there many, many times. I've never actually been in the rink in Sala. but I, you told me about your uh, how heavily re- they recruited you, and and how many offers that you got. Right now, just kidding, but <laughs> but but I think it's an interesting story about how you sought yourself over there and started networking, and um, similar to uh, Leo Girard. And uh, and Ian Gately about, hey, I'm going to I'm a U.S. guy. I want to move over to Sweden. And uh, how do I find a place to play?
1: Yeah, and I think it 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 all started when I was younger, like you and I had spoken offline, seeing the, you know, in USA Hockey magazine, sometimes they would have the pictures of the European players with other advertisements and the really cool, fancy jerseys. And I thought that was fantastic you know, when when someone said, you know, when we're little, we always want to go to the NHL. And then you realize that it's not, it's not conceivable. But then, um, you know, we always hear that would be an option to maybe try to go over to Europe. So that kind of became my goal. Um, and when I got done playing college, uh, I had to take a season off, I was taking care of my grandmother at the time. And then I moved across the country to uh, um, to Arizona with, um, with someone I was with um, at that current moment in time. And kind of got my life together and then really started to hammer in. I reached out to a few agents, uh, a few advisors, and uh, to be completely honest, that really didn't work out too well. Um, Wasted some money, um, got jacked around here, left and right. And it it didn't quite work out. Um, And we're not going to go deeper into that because that's an, that's another podcast altogether. But uh, I really kind of took it under my own, my own wings and I sent, literally thousands of emails within the span of six, seven months to everyone in Sweden and, and Bulgaria and Slovenia and ev- every single amateur, semi-professional, professional league you could think of, I, I sent to everyone and just was waiting for someone to bite. And um, Frederick Bruchmark, um he was the GM in Sala and he's one of my, my dearest friends to this day. He he gave me a chance, and I went out to Sala, Sweden, and I got in such a great city with a great fan base and a great setup. And um, that was one of the, the best decisions I think I have ever made in my life. And it wouldn't have been if he just wouldn't have taken a chance. Yep. Uh, I wouldn't be sitting here today.
0: And uh, and uh, you did okay. Division Three, twenty one 21 games, 21 points. You got that on there, and, and uh, yeah. not too shabby.
1: Not too shabby.
0: Ah, that's awesome. So, and then uh next year, division two up in Oselev, which is much further north. Uh, much further. And uh so for those who don't know, they should look up the uh the 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 term Laplander sickness or in Swedish called Lapchukka. Uh did you did you suffer from low serotonin levels when you went up there?
1: I did, but um When I was there, uh, I was the first import that they had there that season. And then we got a Slovak and then we got another uh, American. So we had um, Peter Gatban, Fred Hein, who were some of my, my, again, my dear friends. We were great roommates. We invested in a a sun lamp, um, (laughs) which which eventually got used so much that uh, we, I think we ordered it offline and the wattage was different. So we started to smell burning in the living room one day. So that kind of went so, but yeah, you you get a little cabin fever, a little uh it's it's really dark up there, but you know what the the, the hockey culture up there is it's 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 something that I never thought I was going to experience and you get to see the northern lights all the time and you get to see wolves and bears and and hear moose and it's it really uh it takes away from how cold and dark it is up there. It's a wonderful place.
0: Yeah. Well and I and I and I wanted to kind of and then we can fast forward a little bit cuz then you've you've played several seasons in in Denmark which but I really wanted to get into this very eclectic uh background also in 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 different levels and different doing a little bit of everything in coaching and and really what I wanted to focus on with this is is your view on on Swedish hockey as being the outsider, specifically about juniors and what you see um, that is perhaps different, the good things, the things that they struggle with and kind of where you see Swedish junior hockey is, is going. There's very, very few. I think, I'm not sure if you and I talked about it, but I looked it up. There's a total, I should do a separate podcast on this, but Right now, in juniors in Sweden, when you look on Ju- Swedish um, on elite prospect, there's a total of eight players in J18 and J20, or maybe seven. Uh, there are there are Americans. That's it yeah. at all levels: J18 Division One, J18 uh, Region, J20 Division One, J20 Region, and J20 National. Not mm-hmm. a single U.S. player is playing J20 National. Uh, which I think is a little bit strange. Um, Now there's 1,100, you know, the competition is really, really tough. Uh, Mm. And then you get a little bit more in the division two and division three and division one levels, but, but just your, uh, so let's go back to your, you know, you've helped out. uh, You went back to Arizona state, uh, helped them out a little bit and then came back to uh, and that's where you ended up in Denmark and you've been since then Yeah, yeah. And, and been in, involved in a little bit of everything. Uh, yeah. Hell, yeah. Let's talk, let, let's, let's quickly go through, go through the the resume of what you've done as a
1: coach. Well, I, 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 I want to say it all started when I was, uh, when I went back uh, after an, an injury um, that I had. So I had to, had to go back to Arizona where I was living at the time and um, but even before that, when I, when I got to, to Sweden, um, I mean, even before that I was working for hockey companies doing skill and development stuff for younger kids, doing overspeed training and power skating and, um, you name it. I, I, I was working in any different type of camp in the summer, or even when I was playing college, um, I was working for a Charlie Penn's and American hockey schools and we were doing all different types of things, but that's where it kind of Teaching through osmosis, kind of, really That's really how everything came to be. You know, I didn't go to any classes. It was just being in the moment and and using what worked best for me. And then when I got to Sweden, um, especially as the American, they want you to the import. They want you to skate with the kids and go on your jersey and just have a really fun time with the kiddos and. Um, and I did that many times and they asked me if I wanted to do private lessons and parents would come up to me and I'd say, absolutely. It gave me something to do in the day when I wasn't waiting around going to practice or doing my side job. Yeah. And so then that kind of took off and then I was doing U15, U14, um, assistant, assistant trainer, you know, programs for the kids. Yeah. Uh, And I, I liked that. And then when I got injured, um, I came back to Arizona and I, I, I couldn't stay away from the game. So sent an email to, uh, to Josh Brown down at ASU and he <clears throat> came in for an interview and, and he let me literally just jump right into what they were doing. And I was able to, to kind of give my flavor on the recruiting side and the scouting side and the coaching side. And, and then from there, I realized that I could kind of do you know, both if, if I wanted to. So when I moved to, to Denmark, When you're a hockey person here, they really when you say I want to do work full time, they really go at it. You know, you we're working all day doing skill session at 5 45 in the morning. After that, you know, you're doing scouting reports, you're breaking down video, then you're doing U thirteen, U 14, U15, U17 at five different cut clubs, consulted throughout the city, and then sometimes going over to Sweden and working over there. So it just kind of morphed into whoever needed me at the time i was there um if it was just on the ice or behind the bench that's kind of where i was and what i was doing so um utilization i would say i I was the utilizer as someone called me wherever they need me they can utilize me so um
0: yeah so the uh instead of the swiss army knife it's the danish uh danish army knife yes and then um and then I think an interesting thing too, you stayed in touch with, with Josh, and then he used you also here in the Um uh, Was that last year?
1: Um, last year, it was uh, not so much that he, he, he wasn't, uh, um, he, he wasn't so much involved last season. Um, things were, especially after COVID um, things in the NAHL, a lot of teams were starting to relocate, but the, the, the season before, um, I was giving him a lot of different names for um, what they were looking for in J20 uh, elite um, in Sweden. So they, they wanted to get some a few profiles. So I was giving them uh, um, scouting reports and video and breakdown and things like that and speaking with the players and seeing what their ambitions were. And, um, but, yeah, we, we stayed in touch. And, and I'm very grateful that he gave me the opportunity to do some European scouting for, uh, for a U.S.-based uh, junior program such as, as the NHL
0: yeah so i'm curious about your opinion uh then so i just had kim hilmerson who's uh playing uh, north american hockey league he's a swedish kid from Uppsala, oh four big kid he's we just recorded um and and he's going to be uh probably uh released here before this one airs so hopefully everybody mm-hmm. can can listen on on that one great kid um and uh he plays in the North American Hockey League, but he played three years in the in um in u U15, U16, U17 AAA here in, in um for um Seacoast Performance Academy up in New Hampshire. But you know, so we were talking about how does it compare? So you've you've looked at you've worked a little bit with North American Hockey League, but and now you're working with Malma Redhawks. How do you compare? the levels between, let's say, J-20 region, J-20 national, North American Hockey League, and the USHL. Is it comparable, or is it just too different of a style? Or how do you, how do you compare?
1: Yes, no, maybe so, in between, kind of, but not. Yeah. <laughs> what, are, um, what, what,
0: what are the similarities? And what are the differences?
1: I mean, of course, you you, you, you have to uh, you, you have to speak about the different types of styles from North American into European, and but but the thing is, I, a lot of people say, "Oh, European hockey." I I, I don't like that term because. Swiss hockey versus German hockey versus Danish hockey versus uh, uh, Swedish and Norwegian hockey. It's completely different. I think the one reason why I really appreciate and uh, have a strong place in my heart for Swedish hockey is is how much the training really affects the culture of the teams and the individuals who attend. I would say that same concept here in Denmark Because the culture of ice hockey here is not that strong. A lot of players do attend, but they don't get the same out of it. If you were to replace that with the same kind of Swedish mindset culture of what hockey actually is. You know, I think there's a lot to draw from what hockey is in your specific country in Europe, especially Scandinavia, as we're talking about. U.S. is more chip chase you got a smaller rank you got quicker feet i think it's more of an anaerobic type game I, ice hockey is an anaerobic sport with an aerobic base on the bottom you know you have to be conditioned but you have to be explosive as well have yep. to have really good edge work and move you have to have a lot of ankle support and, and be very mobile you have to do all of that on the european ice with many more feet either way to flow and keep it going. You can't go deep into the corner because that means if you go too low and you don't have the legs to come back, you're going to be five steps literally behind the guy who just got the puck and transitioned it to go the other way. So I think if you're a European player going over to, let's say you're playing J20 um, regional or uh, uh, elite, and then you go playing in the Nall, I think you're going to have a really good sense of systematic play when it comes to cycling. I think you're going to have a lot of transition game, a lot of regrouping back into the neutral zone, going back D to D. I think you're going to be great at that. The one thing I think is going to be a a learning curve for you is the time that you don't have to think that you're going to make that extra step left or right, and also the time to shoot. Europeans aren't also known for their great shooting skills as the North Americans are sometimes, depending on what level you play at. Um, But yeah, I, I think. If you're a Swede and you come from a a good region where you have the opportunity to go watch a lot of good hockey as well, um, that all you have to do is attend and the coaches are going to be educated enough to that point that they're really going to give you the best chance to succeed. Now, what you and I were speaking, the question that you had earlier was why there aren't that many American players over here. Uh, As you were saying, and again, it just kind of popped into my head is, because I think the collegiate level has such a strong, it shuts a strong sponge in the bucket of USA hockey. Yeah. You know, it's it has it has such a hold. You have arenas with tens of thousands of 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 people that go to see gophers games in Minnesota. You know, you have the you know have the, the, the Big Ten, you have those. That's that's just like the that's the NHL at the collegiate level, you know?
0: Yeah, but and, I, I, I think it's strange though, because you know. At the U18 level, certainly there's are there 10 to 20 teams at the U18 AAA level. Okay, maybe a little bit more if we count the teams in Minnesota. But on the East Coast, aside from the Detroit or Michigan kind of market, you got some prep Mm -hmm. schools, but the the quality of hockey kind of goes down pretty quick at the U18 level. And then you have such an incredible surge of all these US PHL, NA3, EHL teams that are coming up mm. playing tier three. And I just think that it's, I mean, we were faced in that, you know, that decision as a family when we were talking about do we play U18 in this in, in the US? Do we play tier three or do we go to Sweden? And it was mm-hmm. pretty easy. You know, my my son's a, a Swedish citizen, so we made it a little bit more difficult, a little a little bit more easy to, to 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 move over. But I just think that it's a when you're looking at the experience, uh, it's uh, I, I I don't know. I just found it's pretty strange that that there's not more. Um, yeah. Now it's a little bit tough to get in, on the other hand, uh, because the competition's tough and it's not like it's there there's a lot of slots to be you know opened up um but i don't know i it kind of shocked me frankly when i looked at seven kids and all of juniors from (laughs) from the u.s it's just such a such a short number
1: and i have spoken to um geez i i I don't even want to give you a number because i don't want to over undershoot it but let's just say over 25 Players who play now currently in uh, top or second level pro leagues in Europe who make a great salary, who have a great living. The teams take care of their families, their their wives, their girlfriends, or their kids. And one of the main things when we sit down and just you know have conversations about the hockey in Europe, the hockey in Scandinavia, the hockey in Sweden and Switzerland and Norway is how they say, if I would have known, if I, if I was educated and would have understood that I could have come over to Europe, would have gotten uh, a, maybe a free education or help with an education. I would have gotten the ability to not have to go to college if I wanted to play professional, but go to a club, let's say like the Malma Redhawks, yep. would have cracked one of their junior clubs and would have made my easy stepstone into a professional team with going to practices when I'm 18 with the pro team, with the senior team going and meeting with the GM hockey is such, it's such a different animal in the United States because you don't have the pro teams that are connected with the junior clubs. Yeah. Over and over here in Europe, I think it's a wonderful plan that you, you give the kids something to look up and dream to because the pro guys are wearing the same exact Jersey that you have. This is the same logo. So if I would have known even me, if I would have known when I was young that I could come over to Sweden and play for a junior team or junior club uh, or a junior team within that club that I could have in the next two or three years could have had the opportunity to grow or they would have developed me into becoming a professional. I would have done that immediately. But I yeah. just did not know because it's not common knowledge, really.
0: Yeah, I think that that's so um, we had uh, Nikola Blomqvist on. Uh, early, early on he was uh, this was several months ago but he's the goalie coach there in 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 Malmö and we were talking about how the feeder clubs when we look at Malmö Redhawks who is playing uh they're they're in the SHL right or yes. they in
1: Svenska? SHL
0: they're in the SHL which is an incredible level i guess the challenge there, it's really, really tough as an 18-year-old to try to b- break into the SHL team. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's tough for a J-18 player to, to play at the J-20 national level too. But on the other hand, you have then, if you're an 18-year-old, you can play and practice with the J-18. You can play and practice with the J-20 And then you may get loaned out to a division one or division two squad for a smaller club, just right next door. Right. So the, the ability to, to, to grow and to develop and it's not so much to me, the games, but it's really the ability to do that in practice and just go practice with a men's team. All right. And maybe you don't even get to play, but you are now practicing with a men's team at the Division One level or a Division Two level, and you're 18. It's got to, and then you go back to your U18 team or J18, and now you're swinging the bat in a different way with a different confidence, with a different swagger. Exactly. Um,
1: Exactly.
0: And and you compare that to, all right, I'm playing on a U18 team. Triple A, or playing in the beast or, or playing in the high school league in Minnesota, I'm only playing with that team. I'm only playing against the same birth year. If I'm right. a U17 AAA, I'm playing against U17 AAA. I don't practice with anybody else. Um, With the same guys all the time, I'm not growing as much as a person. We're going to the same t- tournaments all over meeting the same size, same kind of player. And I don't know. I just, I just think that which one has a higher potential to create a better hockey player, a better person, mm. more well-rounded person. I, I don't know. I just, that's just, I'm sold on it as you can tell.
1: Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I always, I mean, even since I really started to do a lot of the deep dive into the scouting world at the professional level, I'm so curious. That's one of the things that really spikes my interest every time I see these, these young kids who are just absolutely tearing up NCAA or absolutely tearing up the USHL or the, or the junior levels. And I want to know, like, what, and when you're at that level of competitiveness, at that, that level of elite, where, what, when, and how is that trigger that says you're ready? Because if, if, you're, if you're there at that level, um, and this goes for, this could be for all sports, but you play against the guys that you're better as, but they are at your level of age, your level of physical, mental maturity, or maybe not mental, but physical maturity. And then you make that jump maybe from the NCAA to the NHL. What does, where does that, that connectivity, what's that, that in between? How much is it you? How much is it luck? How much is it the actual skill? How much is it that, that, that summer where you have that excitement and that skill development that you get working with the pro team? How long does that take? that's the stuff that really kind of gets my, my, uh, my mental processes fire. Yeah.
0: So, so let's wrap it up by, by, by asking this question, because we could go on for hours, but hours. what do you think is the, uh, is the most important or what's the determining factor? If you were, if you were going to say maybe one or two things that when you're looking at that 16 year old, that 18 year old, that you see, that is like, what is it that 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 stands them out, uh, or, or that stands out that 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 you see is this guy's got potential? Besides, maybe you know, of course, you're going to have to be a good hockey player and 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 so on. But
1: yeah, I mean, it can take anyone to 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 see the kid who scored three goals on the ice and say, "Wow, he's faster than everyone else." Yes, because it's obvious that he's standing high and above and leaps and bounds above everyone else. But what I really look at, and this goes from junior professional mini mites um, to, to the C leaguers who are playing beer league. I wanna know what you're gonna do without the puck and I wanna look at your body language because those are the two important things. If the shift goes good, if the shift goes bad, are you, between the whistles, are you talking to your line mate when you come off the ice? Do you have, do you have communications with your guys off the uh, off the ice on the bench? are you speaking to yourself? Are you having, you know, mental visualizations? I'm, I'm, I'm staring mm-hmm. at the guy just to see what's going on. Um, and I want to see what he's doing at the that will ultimately lead up to when he makes a mistake, what happens after when he was doing that great thing. Maybe he, maybe he got a turnover, maybe he turned the wrong way on the cycle. He, he got pushed down. Uh, I, yeah, I, I want to know what happens when he's not active with the puck that might lead up to something that he can do very great or positive. That's going to, that's going to enhance his performance and also enhance the performance of the club or the team. So body language and what you do without the puck, especially when I look at players is, is huge for me. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I really hone in on those two things.
0: Well, great advice. And uh, Daniel, thank you for uh, jumping on. Um Everybody, go in and look at uh, Daniel Treesler's um, background. It's T R I E S E S L E R and a nice little uh, European jersey on the profile picture with some uh, yeah. with some uh, uh, European commercial or advertisement on there, of course. Yep. Uh, So thanks for jumping on and uh, let's make sure we stay in touch. Okay.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, man.